Okay, let's pray and ask God to meet us in his word this morning. I've been thinking about a verse in Isaiah 66 where Isaiah says that the people God pays attention to are those who tremble at his word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us whatever Isaiah was talking about there. I mean, I know there's probably a a wrong way of trembling at your word, but there's a right way to be blown away that we hold in our hands the very words of Creator God who has always been and who is the reason we took that last breath and who is the only reason we take our next breath and that we hold in our hands your very words to teach us, to guide us, to lead us. So give us that kind of trembling, uh, an excited trembling, an awe-filled trembling, a joyful trembling, as we open up your word this morning. And I need your help, Jesus, to think clearly and to have the right heart and, and not to get off onto rabbit trails wouldn't be helpful. And I just pray you'd help me, Lord, to be in, in sync with your word and with what your Holy Spirit is saying through this passage so that we would be encouraged and strengthened and comforted and built up by the scriptures. So come and do your work this morning now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. A lot of people have uh, wrong ideas about what it means to be a Christian. You know, uh, being a Christian is not mostly uh, believing certain truths or changing your life or uh, becoming part of a church community. That those things are important, but none of those are what being a Christian mostly is. Being a Christian mostly means trusting. Jesus. It means knowing the living Jesus Christ in a trusting way. That's the heart of it. That's what it means mostly to be a Christian. You can go to church and not be a Christian. You can try to change your life and not be a Christian. You can believe doctrines are true and and not be a Christian because mostly what it's about is knowing Jesus personally in a trusting way. You know him, you, you trust him. And when you trust him, Change will be poured out upon your life in many, many ways. Um, And there's one specifically that I want to mention this morning and kind of home in on. One way you'll be changed is that no matter how bleak your circumstances, no matter how difficult your setting, no matter how big the problems are, if you know Jesus in a trusting way, you will be content in the present, and confident about the future. Content in your present circumstances and confident about the future. Even if the present circumstances are a massive global economic slowdown like we're facing right now. Okay? Uh, Let's see, the stock market's down 50%, real estate's down 40%, unemployment's up 100%, people here have lost their jobs, have been downsized, are taking less pay for the same amount of work, people's retirements have have, um, been shrunk, and uh, people are questioning the future, so there's lots of economic difficulty, there's no question we're in a massive economic slowdown, downturn right now. 
But those who know Jesus Christ in a trusting way can be content in the present and confident, fearless about the future. That's what we saw last week from the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And I wanted us to turn there again. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We're going to have one of the ushers pass one out to you. I'd like you all to have a Bible you can look at. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, so you can see where that is taught. Hebrews 13 is on page 1009 in these Bibles that we're passing out. A little bit of background on the, this letter to the Hebrews. It's a letter written to a group of followers of Jesus who are going through uh, economic uh, tragedy, really. Many of them had had their possessions stolen, their homes ransacked, their homes destroyed. We can, you can read that in, in um, chapter 10, verse 36, I think it is. We looked at it last week. So they were definitely facing an economic time of difficulty. And here in chapter 13, the author gives them kind of a miscellaneous list of encouragements of how Jesus would want them to live. All kinds of different topics here. But in verses 5 and 6, there's the money topic. And look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, two truths in those verses about Jesus And then the author tells us what each of those truths means for us. The first truth, verse 5, Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Here's what that means. I'm a sinful man. You are too. The way I've lived my life, what God owes me is judgment and punishment forever. That's what he owes me and you too. But Jesus came, died on the cross, And so when you, when I turn and put my trust in Jesus, at that moment, all my sins are forgiven. Jesus comes and lives in me by his Holy Spirit. And from that point on, he will never leave me or forsake me, ever. And so because Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, right there in verse 5, we can be content with what we have. Even if what we have is very little, we can be content with the little that we have because of something else we have, namely Jesus, who will never leave us or forsake us. And the the heart fullness that comes from knowing Jesus is all satisfying, so you can be content no matter what is happening around you. That's the first truth. Second truth, verse 6, Jesus is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Which means that if you're trusting Jesus, he promises that he will provide for you every cent that you need in order to fulfill his calling in your life. Every cent you need will be provided. Matthew 6.33 is one verse that teaches that. So what that means when we understand that is that no matter how bleak things look financially, no matter how high the unemployment, no matter 
you know, how little the money, you do not need to fear. You can be confident about the future. You can smile upon the future. Because over the future is Jesus who promises to provide everything you need financially to fulfill his calling in your life. And that's what we looked at last week. Those two truths and what those meant for us. Now what I want to do this morning is dig deeper into these same two verses. And I send out an email asking you for some questions. And I got some helpful responses. And I wrote down some questions and kind of, kind of, you know, worked it all together, and came up with three key questions that I want to focus on this morning to dig deeper into this topic. So the first question is this. If I know that Jesus is with me, why am I still feeling discontent? Or why don't I feel content? So I think if we took a poll here this morning and asked you, Do you believe that Jesus is with you? I think most of you would say yes. Yes, I believe that Jesus is with me. But if we took a second poll and asked, are you content in your present circumstances? I think many who said, yes, Jesus is with me, if you're honest, would say, no, I'm not feeling content. Isn't that true? So why is it that we can know that Jesus is with me, believe that that's true, and yet not feel content? Content. Why is that? Let me explore that with you a little bit. If you're not feeling content this morning, and I I would guess a number of you are not, uh, if you're honest. So you look at your job, your finances, your future, your savings, your retirement, or maybe something else in terms of your relationships, your marriage, your family, your kids, your health, whatever. I would guess that many of you right now, flat out, are not feeling content. If you're not, Ask yourself this question. Probe into your heart and ask, why am I not feeling content? Really good question. Revealing question. Why is it that you're not feeling content? And if you ask yourself that question honestly and look into your heart, what you will discover is that the reason you're not feeling content is because there is something you don't have that you think you need in order to be content. It's obvious, right? That's why. If you look inside yourself, if you're not content, you'll say, well, okay, there's something I don't have. That's what I need to be content. The reason I'm not content is because I need that to be content. I don't have it, so I'm not content. For example, you might look inside your heart and say, I'm not content because I don't have, I have a job yet or have a job like I used to have that paid like I used to have or with the responsibilities I used to have. I don't have a job like I used to have. I don't have that job, and I think I need that job or a job like that to feel content, and so until I get that job, I'm just not going to be able to be content, right? So it's that you don't have have this job. Or you might look inside your heart and say, it's that I don't have a certain amount of money. Maybe you've been going for months or longer, kind of with the, the grinding pressure of trying to make ends meet on a reduced income, and it's just hard. Work And you're thinking, if I could just have some more money, I'd be content because I wouldn't have that pressure on me. Or maybe it's the thought of having more money because there's something you'd like to, to buy that you can't afford now because of financial problems. And you're thinking, I don't have that thing I want to buy. That's what I need to be content. If I had that, I'd be content. So the reason I'm not content is because I don't have that. So if you ask the question, why are you feeling a lack of contentment this morning? Why are you feeling that in your heart? 
If you ask the question why and probe into your heart, you'll see that the answer is because there's, there's something that you don't have that you think you need to have in order to be content. Okay? Are we in agreement on that? It's kind of elementary. Okay, now, with that in mind, look back at Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. With that in mind, look at what he says. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now notice that God says, be content with what you have. He doesn't say, be content with what you hope God will do for you in the future. We hope God will do wonderful things in the future. Verse 6 says he will. That's not where our contentment is. We're content with what we have before God does anything in the future. Do you see that? This is an amazing verse. Be content with what you have. Be, ready for this? Be content with your unemployment. Be content with your reduced income. Right? Don't take my word for it. Isn't that what he says? Be content with what you have. I don't have a job. Right. Be content with not having a job is what the author of Hebrews would say. Now, parenthesis. Don't misunderstand that. It does not mean that you can stop looking for a job or that you're just going to you know, kind of go to the beach and wait for the checks to come be special delivered FedEx to you or that you, you know, don't need to plan your budget carefully. Contentment does not mean that. What this means is that as God calls you to look for a job, you can do it from contentment. You're not desperate. You're not frustrated. You are at peace. Your heart is full. Your heart is satisfied. Now, how is that possible? How could you be content without a job? How? How could you be content with a reduced income? And I have no job, I have little money, little prospects. How can I be content with that that I have? The answer is because of something else you have. Jesus Christ. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do you see what the author is saying here? Our contentment is not in what we hope God will do to change our circumstances. Our contentment is right now in our problem, in the midst of the problem, because Jesus is here. And when you have Jesus, your heart is fully satisfied, can be fully satisfied. Okay, so why is it that we feel lack of contentment? It's because, just straight up, okay, don't be offended, I'm saying this to myself too. When you're not content, when I'm not content, it's because you're seeking your contentment in something other than Jesus. Put it differently, when you're not content, it's because you're not seeking your contentment in Jesus. Okay? Did you all hear that? Let me just say it again. This is really, really important. If I could learn this better, if you could learn this better, we'd be content much more of the time. When you're not content, when I'm not content, it's because I'm not seeking my contentment in Jesus. It's because I'm seeking my contentment in something other than Jesus. The way to be content 
is to realize that Jesus is with me. See, we just got to get it settled in our minds. Do you, do you understand that there is nothing in the world out there that can satisfy your heart except Jesus Christ? You were created. Okay, so see, there, there's a round hole and a, and, a, and a square block. Okay, your heart is a round hole. Everything else that's out there, job, money, everything else in the world is a square block. It doesn't fit. Doesn't doesn't satisfy. Pascal said, you've heard this before, you have a God-shaped, a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart. The only reality that will satisfy you fully and lastingly is the person of Jesus Christ. That's truth. Now, I know, Advertisements are blaring at us all day long. I mean, there's people who make big bucks thinking, how can I make this person not feel content? Right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent trying to get you to feel discontent. Right? You got to buy this. You got to have this. You got to want this. Right? So some of the best minds in the world are trying to figure out how to make you be discontent. Just stay stuck on Jesus, right? Round peg, round hole, content. That, that's how it works. And so the way to be content is to seek your contentment in the person of Jesus Christ, knowing him in a trusting way. He will never leave you or forsake you. You have him. You may not have a job. You have him. You may not have a job that you would have liked. You have him. You may not have money. You have him. You have him. You can talk to him. You can feast on his love. You can behold him. You can worship him. And you'll be satisfied in him. Okay, Thursday night was a bad night at the Fuller household. I found out that two members of my extended family were facing situations that were sad for them, harmful for them, and potentially harmful for us. Okay, you're all wondering what it is, and that's all I'm going to say, okay? Keeping it intentionally very vague. And as soon as I heard about these situations, I, I was concerned for the, the members of my extended family. Okay, and that's the right thing to do. Concern is good. You know you can be concerned and content at the same time? Concern is good. That's loving. But then I started to move from that kind of concern that you can have with contentment to that discontentment, okay? And I became fearful about the future. I became frustrated about the circumstance. I was not content. I was feeling a whole lot of discontent. And what I was feeling was, there's no way that I can be content until these circumstances change for the better. You know that feeling? I'm just not going to feel better until this changes out there. This circumstance changes. Now, here's, here's the great thing about being a pastor. I've been spending Thursday getting ready for this morning's teaching, okay? Working on verse 5. Be content with what you have. I think I'm going to tell them Sunday morning, this is going to be great, Lord. I'm going to tell them that they can be content in the middle of their problems before any problem is solved. Their problem doesn't need to be solved before they can be content. They can seek Jesus right then. It was really, it was a great thing, okay? Thanks for letting me do this. This is an awesome job. So, so... I started off praying with Jan. We prayed about this circumstance. Then I went back to my, uh, to my office, sat down at my desk, and I opened up to Psalm 63. I'd, and I'd like you to turn there so that you can see exactly what happened. Here's how Jesus gave me contentment before 
any problem was solved at all. Okay? I turn to Psalm 63. By the way, that's on page 479 in these Bibles that we just passed out. Here's what you do. By the way, let me just, another parenthesis here. I was talking to Jan about this last night. You can be content, but not have your contentment in Jesus. Right? So let me be really clear here. The kind of contentment that verse 5 is talking about, the kind of contentment that we're to seek, is not just the absence of worry or the absence of frustration, because you can just, like your job's going fine, the money's going fine, the kids are happy, everybody's healthy, I'm content. That's not what we're talking about. It's just a matter of time before that runs out. It's not a real positive thing to say, but it's true. Okay? The contentment that we're talking about is where you are content in Jesus Christ. Look at you, Jesus. I love you. I trust you. I worship you. You are powerful. You are good. You are loving. And your presence, your presence is satisfying my heart. Okay? So if you're like totally content this morning, you're not off the hook. All right? Sorry. It's not that easy. Are you content in Jesus? Is he the reason you are feeling full this morning. Okay, Psalm 63. Here's what I did. Sat down at my desk, opened up my Bible, and I just started to pray because I I could see so clearly what was happening. I just said, Jesus, I'm sorry that right now I'm seeking my contentment not in you, but in these problems being resolved. So I just confessed it before the Lord. I'm sorry. And I asked him to help me. Would you meet me? Would you change my heart now, right now? Just be honest with the Lord. I said, right now, I don't feel like I could ever be content until these two situations are resolved, changed in some way. So I asked him to change me, to help me. Okay? Then I read verse 1. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, that's the world. That's your life. Everything else that's out there is a dry and weary land without water. And you've got a thirsty soul, and there's one spring. Jesus Christ. Everything else is a dry and thirsty land. So for me to read that verse, and it just helped me to, I wasn't feeling it yet, but I was seeing the truth of it. My heart thirst won't be satisfied by seeing that problem resolved or that problem resolved. My problem, my heart thirst can be satisfied now before there's any solution. I can be satisfied in you, thirsting for you, fainting for you, seeking for you. Then I read verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Skip down to verse 5. My soul will be satisfied. Another word for content. Contentment, right? My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Okay, so back to verse 2. Beholding your power and your glory. I just stopped and I, I just I prayed and I asked Jesus, help me see your power right now. 
Help me to behold your power. And I just spent some time contemplating Jesus' power. I thought about Jesus who's created everything. I thought about Jesus who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I thought about Jesus who spoke a word and the universe existed where nothing had been before. And I just contemplated, Jesus Christ, you have all power. And then I thought about the word glory. And the pinnacle of God's glory is his mercy, his love, his goodness. And so I just thought about how loving and how good and how gracious and kind Jesus is. That he's like a a never-ceasing, constantly overflowing fountain of goodness to everyone who trusts him. And I just contemplated Jesus, the glory of his mercy, the glory of his love, the glory of his goodness. And so I asked Jesus to help me see his power, asked him to help me see his glory. And, and what happened was, the Holy Spirit came upon me, nothing super dramatic, but I saw Jesus' power and glory like I hadn't seen it 30 minutes before. And seeing him and worshiping him and trusting him and knowing him completely satisfied my heart. And I was at peace. I didn't know what he was going to do about these two problems. I didn't need to know what he was going to do about those two problems. I was satisfied with him doing nothing about those two problems. In him. Did you see how that works? Be content with what you have. Because he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You always have with you, you're carrying around with you through Jesus. It's like, it's like if you're a scuba diver and you're underwater, what do you need more than anything else? Like oxygen, right? Okay. And when you become a Christian through the cross, God lowers down to you through the water this mouth tooth with a pipe. There. Okay. Okay, wow, that's good. I'm very thankful. Thank you. Okay, I'm very thankful. All right, so you're breathing, and whenever you start to seek your contentment in something else, it's like you're... (laughs) Right? Okay, that's what you're doing. But see, if you're trusting Jesus, you've always got the mouthpiece. It will never leave you or forsake you. You can always turn back. Oh, yes. This, This is what it's all about, okay? Are you getting it? All right. Or are you just like so freaked out about it? What a weird illustration. Okay. The point is, when you become a follower of Jesus, it's lowered down. You always have the mouthpiece there. It's always there. When you're not content, you're breathing something else. Every time. The solution isn't, would somebody give me some air over here? It's not the solution. The solution is, oh, Jesus. Okay. That's how it works. All right. That's verse 5. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. That's how we dig deep in terms of the whole contentment issue. Now, real brief second question. Isn't there a danger of being so content that I neglect to take steps that Jesus calls me to take? That's a, that's a danger. You know your personality. Some of you are, are never going to stop being responsible financially looking for work, okay, because you've got other issues, okay? Some of you, it's like, that's the first thing you hear as soon as you hear the word contentment. Yes, finally, hit the beach, okay? So you just got to figure out where you are and compensate. So I want to point out here that, yes, that's a danger, 
And let me just give you briefly seven steps that Jesus calls us to take for financial responsibility that are in the scriptures. Real rapid fire, real quick. Alan and Connie have donated three books to our church library that are really helpful along these lines, okay? So thank them and check the books out. Um, But here's just real rapid fire, seven steps from the scriptures. First, seek contentment in Jesus, not in money or things. That's the starting point. If you don't do that, you'll be skewed on the money question. Second, understand that Jesus will provide all you need as you pray and plan and work. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's right there in the Lord's prayer. Plan, work. There are some scriptures you can look at for that. Third, work hard at whatever job you can get. I mean that literally. Whatever job you can get. Don worked for four, jo- four jobs that season of your, of your life. Okay, That could be a very humbling thing. But Jesus... It might look humbling to the world, but for Jesus and you, that is a noble calling, whatever it is. He is smiling upon you. Fourth, plan your finances. Okay, budget, reconcile your checkbook. All right, plan. Have a, have, you know, think things through and use those books. Fifth, avoid credit card debts. If you've got... Yeah. <laughs> If you've got huge credit card debt, check out DaveRamsey.com. Uh, Dave Ramsey's a Christian guy. He's got all, he'll help you work that through. Or Crown Financial Ministries. Uh, Mike and Jill Lemoyne have done the Crown Financial stuff. Okay, you can talk to them. But um, put together a plan. Get somebody in your home group to be praying with you and helping you with that. And go to work. Um, get out from under it. Sixth, live simply. Okay, You may be forced to do that, but if you aren't forced... Lean into living on less than you could live on. Lean into that. That's what Jesus calls us to do. So that, seventh, you can give generously for Jesus' sake to the poor, to advance his mission. You can pile up treasures in heaven. Okay, so here's seven, just kind of seven steps briefly as an overview. Because there is a danger, I suppose, in pushing the contentment issue so hard that we become passive. That would be a misunderstanding. I hope you hear that this morning. Okay, third question. What if I know that Jesus helps us, but I'm still fearful about the future? That's possible, right? Again, imagine if we took a poll, does Jesus help people who trust him? You'd all check yes. And then if if I was to ask you, are you fearful about your future? Many Many of you would check yes. How can you have both? How can you both know that Jesus promises to help people and still feel fearful about the future? At the risk of sounding simplistic, I think there's two main reasons why that could be the case. One is, this is from personal experience, there's something I want that I'm afraid Jesus won't give. Right? I know he'll take care of me, but I'd like him to take care of me This way, and this way, and this way, and this way. Right? Now see, what's happening when I have that in my heart is that there's something else besides Jesus and more than Jesus that I'm relying on for my fulfillment. Right? And if he's not going to give that to me, I'm afraid. Right? Are you you hearing that? 
And that, boy, we, we do that, don't we? I, mean, we, I trust you're going to help me. I want to be helped this way. And he might. Or he might not. But if that's too big of a deal to you, you're not content in him. As you look into your future, what's the one thing you should want? Him. And that's what he promises. He will orchestrate every detail of your life. Good things, bad things. To bring you more of him. Which is awesome. More of the round peg, please. Right? More of the oxygen, please. Every circumstance, every problem will give you more. Yes, even the hard things. Okay, so when I say I know Jesus helps people, but I'm still afraid about the future, usually for me, or most of the time for me, it's because there's something I really am hoping he'll do that I'm seeking too much fulfillment in. So search your heart. Although don't spend too much time searching your heart, just seek Jesus for your contentment. And when you're content in him, those other things will take their rightful place. See, the phrase that I like to use, I think Dave Strauss actually, I first heard this from him, is that Jesus will always give us all the money we need to fulfill his calling in our lives. Now, don't miss that fine print at the end there. To fulfill his calling in our lives. Okay, because that could mean poverty. Right? Yes, that's right. It could mean poverty. Or it could mean riches. Jesus doesn't promise riches. He promises himself. The believers in the book who this book is written to were in terrible poverty for no fault of their own. But they would have Jesus. Okay? All right, that's one reason. Another reason is because I can say that Jesus helps people and not really trust him to help me. I can mentally say Jesus helps people and not really feel in my heart that he's going to help me. Can you relate to that? He'll help this other person. But my own problems, I'm not feeling it with my own problems. So here's what I would suggest you do. It's, it's simple, but I would, I would urge you to do it. If you have a problem, need a job, need, need more money, whatever, and you're, you're doubting that Jesus is going to do anything about that, I would, I would go into your bedroom, shut the door, kneel down by your bed, or, or go to your desk, sit down there, and I would open up the scriptures, and I would pray, and say, Jesus, come and and would you give me more faith right now? I'd I'd ask him to do that. Don't you love that prayer in Mark chapter 9 where the man says, I believe, would you help my unbelief? Ask Jesus, help my unbelief. I'm not feeling it now. Help me. And he will. So pray, number one. Number two, the word. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Okay, so you pray, Give me faith. Help my unbelief. And then you open up the word and you look at promises like Hebrews 13, 6. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. And I would 
ponder that promise and look at that promise and talk to Jesus about that promise and thank him for that promise and ask him to help me believe that promise. And as you do that earnestly, I promise you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you faith. And so you will start to feel, Jesus, you're going to do this for me. You will be my helper. He will be there speaking that promise to you. And you'll feel it. What's changed? His work has come. He's answering your prayer. He's giving you faith. That will happen. And then you will know by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart that the Holy Spirit's there, that Jesus is there saying to you, I'm going to help you. I will help you. I'll never forget, early years of this church, I was doing real estate. Bad time to start real estate. And uh, I was out walking near, near the house we were leasing at the time. Realist, we were just getting started. Lots to learn. I got to make some money here. And, and I was praying just along these lines. And, 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 I, and I just had this sense of the Lord saying, it's going to go fine. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To have a verse like that become alive so that he himself is speaking it to you. You're feeling the Holy Spirit testifying to you that this is going to be true for you. It just helps so much. And that will birth faith. So I just plead with you. If you know that God helps people, but you're not feeling it for your circumstance, don't just keep on muddling through life. Stop. Turn off the cell phone. Turn off the computer, except for your Bible program. Okay? Close the door. Kneel down. Open up your Bible and pray and say, I, I'm not trusting you. Help me. He swoops in on that prayer. He loves that prayer. He will bring his power to you in that prayer and he will always meet you when you do that. And let me tell you one story about my grandfather. I'd forgotten about this story until this week. I was reading, reading it. April 1919. Okay? Long time ago. My grandfather had just married his wife, my grandmother, and he was going to pursue a career in growing oranges. And so he bought a little orange grove, and he'd gotten a job uh, managing an orange packing plant. And uh, things were looking good. So some big bucks in orange, growing oranges at the time, and, and things were just really happening. So he was, he was working one day in this orange packing plant, and while he was working, all of a sudden, there was just this conviction from God. It's like Jesus was there saying, quit your job, go to Bible school, and go into the ministry. It was strong. And he knew the Lord, you know, so he's like, oh, wow. He could tell something was happening. So... So he, he went and found a place in the packing plant where there was nobody. He was behind some boxes, and he knelt down and just started to, to pray because he wanted to really, I mean, he could tell God was there. He wanted to really figure out what was going on. Now, there was two things that were really of concern to him. One was, um, there's a lot of money to be made in oranges, and the ministry wasn't quite as, as promising. And the second thing was, how on earth is he going to pay for uh, Bible school? Four years of Bible school, how is that going to happen? But as he prayed, the sense from Jesus got stronger and stronger and stronger so that what happened was the thought of the less promising, less lucrative vocation, he didn't give a rip about that. He was so full in Jesus, he didn't care. And he knew that somehow, someway, God was going to take care of the whole Bible school thing. So he got up and he went right to his boss and resigned from his position. Just like that. Everybody thought he was crazy. Resigned from his position. 
So then, okay, so no more position, no income. Um, well, they, they did have this orange grove, and they were, they were hoping that it was going to bring, you know, a, a harvest. Uh, but the first thing that happened was the harvest that year in oranges for the whole area was really lousy. Isn't that just like what so often happens, right? You take a step, and things then go downhill after that point, and that's exactly what happened. So the, the money that they were hoping would come from selling oranges was far less. I'm not even sure if it covered the expenses. So, but they kept praying, and they kept asking for God, you know, you, you, you call us to do this. I mean, they, were, they fought to be content in Jesus, but we're following your call. You will provide, right? And then they got a letter. This is amazing. From an oil company who wanted to give him $10,000 for the rights to drill for oil on the Orange Grove property. Now, can anybody do the quick math? What would $10,000 in 1919 dollars be? Is that like $100,000? More? Okay, much more? Okay. So, wow. I didn't realize it was much more. So that's the money that enabled the, that they lived on. And you know, the, the, the company never even drilled on their property. It's like, what happened? I don't know. But so here, here's the point. He experienced, my grandpa experienced contentment with what he had, quitting a job, moving into a vocation that was less lucrative, but he had Jesus. That's all that mattered to him. Because truth is, more money wouldn't have satisfied him a whit. That's the truth. Now in saying that, we are like, up against all of our culture saying, no, on that one, right? When you're feeling it in you, really? More money would not have satisfied him a whit. It's just that you know, you know from your experience. Whenever you've gotten some more money, it's really exciting for a little while, and then it's back to the old discontent again. Money will not satisfy you. So he experienced contentment, and they experienced confidence in the future, and they saw God be their helper to the extent of having an oil company give him well over $100,000 of today's money to support their Bible school education. Okay, so two truths about Jesus Christ. One is, he will never leave you or forsake you. You have the oxygen mouthpiece accessible to you at all times. Be content in the midst of whatever is going on before he does anything to change. Because you can be content in him without anything changing. He is your contentment. Him plus nothing else is infinitely enough. That's the first truth. Second truth is he will be your helper. He will be your helper. So you can look ahead to the future with confidence and without any fear. Because he will provide every cent you need to fulfill his calling in your life. And that's the calling you want to pursue, right? Couldn't be better news. Let's stand together. I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Dave's going to come on up, but... Some of you want to especially pray on the contentment issue this morning. Some of you want to pray on the confidence issue this morning. I want to give you a chance to come up here in front and do that right here. So um, no pressure, but I just, I'd like to invite you to come on up right now. And uh, you, you want to pray about the contentment thing. You want to pray about the confidence thing and ask Jesus to meet you.
We want to be able to pray with you. So come on up if you're dealing with contentment, confidence, no fear, and um, we'll pray on you. So come on. Be bold. We're family here. More, lots more. Contentment, confidence. I want to pray over these things. Let's have other people come up and stand with those that are here to be, to be able to pray with them. So, so, Tom Hatch likes to say, you should either be up here receiving prayer or up here giving prayer. Okay? That kind of sounds like pressure. Anyway, you know what I mean. But Lord, I pray that right now you'd come and move upon all of us, and especially those that are here right now. Lord, what amazing promises that you can so satisfy our hearts in yourself that we don't need anything else. What liberating reality. I pray that you would be pouring that out upon us right now. And these that are here right now, pour it out upon them, Lord, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be pouring out confidence and fearlessness about the future because of your promise that you will be our helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. So come and bring faith. Bring bring a witness by your spirit, a a heart revelation by your spirit, so that we can sense you saying that promise directly to us in our circumstances. Come and do that right now, I pray.